This is Andy Porowal for Boxing Social in association with Betfred and I'm delighted to be joined by trainer Jamie Moore up here in Manchester. Jamie, first and foremost, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you, mate. It's good to hear. Now, obviously, you've got a very busy stable and a few fights which are coming up which will kind of will work our way through everybody. Start off with Stephen Ward, as he's obviously just to the side of us. Has Stephen been looking in camp as he prepares for his debut at Cruiserweight? Yeah, well, he's, he's done most of his training in Belfast because of the stuff that's been going on. Um, but... Uh, he's been, I've been getting a video sent over from Paul at Monkstown. He's uh, been uh, recording the sparring and sending me over. So, yeah, it's been good, good work and uh, he's come over here in great shape. What are you expecting to see from Stephen next weekend, his first fight at Cruiserweight? Is it just a matter of him just being able to gouge the weight, how he's, how he's going to feel at it? Or are you expecting him to put, put on a bit of a statement to the rest of the division? You know, what, what are you expecting from him? Uh, uh, to, be, to be fair, it's just that any time you move up in weight, um, there's always a period of time for like to let your body adjust at the weight and, and settle, get used to sort of making that different weight. Um, it's such a big gap between light heavy and cruiser, so so even more so. But Stevie was that big at light heavyweight. He should never have been boxing at light heavy, to be honest. So it's not as bad for him. But I'd like him over the next sort of three to six months just to settle into the weight. Um, you know, I don't want to rush it, but. He hasn't got loads of time, you know. He's he's, he's not he's not a spring chicken, so we do need to get a move on to a certain extent. Um, and with him being so big, um, it won't take him that long to sort of settle down on the weight. So, give give him a couple of fights at cruiserweight, and then and I'd, I'd be expecting him to be boxing for the British title. Similar to what we said, we said you know, if say if he had a couple of fights, just kind of get his feel for the weight, and maybe within a year he'd like to be thinking he'd be in and around total fights. Is that kind of among your among your timeline thinking? I take it. Yeah, definitely. That's what I'm thinking. Um, get him maybe two fights, and then the third fight he's, he'd definitely be in a position then to uh, to be boxing for titles and hopefully for the British title. What do you make of the cruiserweight division? Certainly domestically, you've got the likes of Richard Riakpour, Chris Billum-Smith, uh, Tommy McCarthy on her, Stephen as well. It's a, it's a good division to be in. What do you make of it? Yeah, there's a couple of good names and uh, some, some great fights to be made for Stephen. So, uh, like I say, he's just got to get his foot in the door first, establish himself, and then I'm sure those fights can be made. Moving away from Stephen on to Chantelle Cameron. Chantelle's waited a long time for her first world title tilt. Obviously, she goes in with, I'll say her first name, Adriana. Could have, neither of us could pronounce her last name earlier. But how excited are you to see Chantelle get this opportunity now? Yeah, she has been waiting. Um, she's fought two final eliminators at two different weights and, and has been sat waiting for her opportunity. It's understandable, you know, she's probably in a situation in terms of the Katie Taylor fight where she doesn't bring enough to the table for, for, for it to make sense for Katie to take the risk because she knows it's a, it's a tough fight for her regardless of the outcome. So, so yeah, I'm glad she gets the opportunity. First fight with Eddie and, uh, and he's delivered straight away. So um, happy days. What do you know about Chantel's opponent? Not much. Um, Chantel knows, has seen her quite a bit. She knows her from the amateurs. Um, I've watched her. Um, she looks tough, strong, looks durable. But I don't see that she brings anything to the table which will cause Chantel problems. Chantel looks like she's probably better equipped in every department, um, she, you know, boxing-wise, in terms of a boxing ability, she seems like a, a level or two above. Um, and Chantel punches so hard. So, uh, so yeah, I think, um, I think it'll be a pretty successful night. We've seen some fantastic female fights when boxing's returned. Uh, just to name a few, be Terry Harper, Tasha Jonas, Taylor Pursun too, McCaskill Brackhouse, the list kind of goes on. 
Is there a pressure at all on Chantelle to make sure that if she is to be successful, she's going to do it in a, in a convincing fashion to kind of keep her name in and amongst the rest of us on the back of us fights? But you can see that potentially she could feel like she's got to put on a show and, and make a statement, especially with it being a first one on Matchroom. And like you say, with the try to follow in the footsteps of some of the fights, what we've witnessed, you know, I thought the Terry Harper and Tasha fight was amazing. Um, so if it wasn't for the way Chantel fights naturally, then I think she'd probably feel more pressure. But she loves to fight like that. That's her first and foremost her style. Um, so it's not like she's going to have to take herself out of a comfort zone to put in a performance like that. So, uh, so I'm excited to see people's reaction to Chantel because I don't think you know a lot of general boxing fans won't have seen her because she's not been um, she's not been on Sky, where he's, he's the main place where people come to watch you. So I'm looking forward to seeing people's reaction. Also fighting on that card, you've got Akib Fiaz against Cain Baker, um, a rivalry that certainly seems to have, have kind of flared up since the, the cancellation of the first bout with Akib falling ill. Just kind of take me back to that entire situation and reflect on it for me, Jamie, because I saw Kane probably two weeks after that and he was still very much... He kind of regretted what he came out and said um, in the immediate aftermath of it. I think it was just raw emotion at the time, but he still feels that kind of... He never really heard much of Akib uh, on the back of it. So what was kind of Akib's mindset on the back of him pulling out of the fight? Well, Akib was upset that I pulled him out of the fight, but... So and so, I've I've seen the interviews and I've seen comments and stuff about Akib was scared, which is a is it's a ridiculous statement. The fact of the matter is, he still wanted to fight. I made the decision to pull him out of the fight. I took the decision out of his hands. So it doesn't make sense to say that Akib was scared or didn't want to fight, because that's not the the, the fact of the matter is. He did want to fight, and I made the decision to pull him out. So. And I'm glad I did, because even though at the time it was a, a tough decision, even though I knew it was the right one, because of the situation and we're all in the bubble and it's the day before the fight and there's only five fights on Sky. So I didn't take the decision lightly, but it was the right call. It wasn't right. Um, but in a way, it's made the fight more appealing because there's a little bit of needle there. Um, I know Kane, um, Kane's confident in, you know, he thinks that he's getting a kid at the right time. He's only had five fights. But... He's a super talented kid and he's got the temperament of someone much more mature and experienced than what he is on paper. So he's got he's had great sparring with in the gym with Carl Frampton, with Jack Catterall. And he's learnt a lot even in the period from the fight being cancelled and then now you can see the improvements in him. So um so Listen, it's boxing. It's nothing personal. The, the, these things happen. Fights fall through. You know, Kane's a bit upset about it. I know. I know. He, I know. He's settled down a little bit now. I spoke to Kane. I've messaged him on Instagram. Um, we've had a bit of a conversation. He's boxing. That's it. And they'll go and fight uh, next Sunday. And may the best man win. Um, I'm very confident in that Akib will come through. But it's not an easy fight, and that's why we've took it because a fighter like Akib will grow and improve as a fighter by taking fights like this. He's not going to improve boxing kids who've had 90 fights and won two. He'll improve by boxing kids like Kane, who are going to come and try and win and put it on him and cause him problems. And then Aki will come through him, take the lessons on board, and it'll make him a better fighter in the future. So, um, so I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be an exciting fight.
So what are you actually expecting from that fight then, Jamie? Are you expecting kind of because of what's happened previously, do you feel there will be that kind of that needle going into the fight and we could kind of see the pair of them at some points uh, throw caution to the wind, shall we say? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, Akib is first and foremost a pressure fighter. Um, he can box, but I think because of what's gone on, because there's a bit of needle, I definitely think that... Um, even though Kane's best asset is probably his toughness and his durability and he comes to have a fight, doesn't mean that Akib can't fight him. So, um, so we'll see. Tactically, we've, we feel like we've got the game plan spot on, um, but it's going to be a great fight for the fans, 100% guaranteed. Both Martin Murray and Rocky Fielding not here today. Do you want to just update me on those two, Jamie? Yeah, Martin's waiting for a date. Rocky's waiting for a date. It's, it's obviously difficult at the moment because of the situation. So... Um, there's something in the pipeline for Martin. It's too early to uh, to mention anything yet, but hopefully over the next maybe two or three weeks we'll be able, to, be, able to, be able to have some news for you. Rocky is the same situation. He's just sort of treading water, waiting for the waiting for a, a date and, a, and an opponent to have a decent fight to come up. And he's busy out, away on holiday at the moment. He's uh, he's not barely been in the country for the, for the last sort of few months because of the lockdown. He's got two young kids, so it's not easy keeping him in the house for a while. He's in the opportunity. Uh, no, he's in the um, position where he can go away. Why not? One name which was always kind of mentioned with Rocky, say throughout lockdown, was John Ryder. Both of them have fought previously, and then they're both kind of open to facing each other again. Is that a fight that interests a pair of you? Definitely, but we haven't heard anything other than the stuff what's happened. You know, where they've gone a little bit to and fro on social media. Um, I I actually thought that maybe. Eddie would approach, would approach us or maybe approach John and say, listen, do you fancy doing it? Because it's an easy fight to make and there's not much going on overseas. You know, it's difficult with travel restrictions and stuff. So it seems like a, a sensible fight to make, but we haven't heard anything. But I'm, I'm open to, to that fight, definitely. I think it's a great fight for the fans. They've boxed before, it was a close fight. And, um, and why not? Why do you think it's been so difficult for Rocky to get certain fights ever since he picked up that, that WBA title a few years ago now and then he went and fought Canelo and lost you know he just doesn't seem to have been able to pick up the, the types of fights that he'd have probably imagined he would have done on the back of becoming a champion why do you think that is? I don't know you know when you look at Rocky's record he's lost to Callum Smith and Canelo that's it so and he punches a lot harder than his record even suggests, even though he's got a lot of knockouts on his record. Punches harder than it even looks like on there. So I don't know why. I really don't know. Maybe it's the risk-reward scenario. Um, but I th he's definitely got a few good fights left in him. He's only 32. And, um, you know, maybe as restrictions settle now, maybe fight might come up abroad in America or something like that. But um, but I would love I'd I'd love the rider fight. I like John. He's a nice lad. Um, I like his style. He's a good pressure fighter. He's improved a lot since they fought the first time. But so's Rocker. So uh, so I think it'd be a great fight for the fans. Um, moving on to Carl Frampton. Carl successful back in August with his bout. Just reflect on that for me first and foremost. What did you make of his victory? Yeah, I thought he's, he's eased into the fight like I asked him to. Um, those type of fights are always potential banana skins. Even if you win, sometimes he can look ugly and scrappy. So I told him, or I asked him, don't rush into it. Don't try and knock the kid out. Get your judgment and your timing right first. And then when, once you get your jab established, 
then start to go through the gears and and he, he did it perfectly. You know, he, he didn't rush it. He eased his way into it. He worked the body well, and the, the finishing combinations were, were were brilliant. So all the stuff we've been working on in the gym over the last couple of years, you know, put into practice, obviously at a lower level, but. Um, you know, it would have done him good because of the amount of time out of the ring and going into a big fight like a herring fight, which hopefully can be made at the end of this year, early next year, then he's got seven rounds under his belt, which if he'd have gone in there and blasted him out in a round or two, would have done him no good whatsoever. So, uh, so yeah, it's good. he's in a good position. We just hope that herring's eye can heal up in, you know, quick enough. We, ideally, we'd like it in December, but if not, January's fine. Let's touch on Jamal Herring. Obviously, he's victorious against Dequendo. Just kind of reflect on that fight for me, Jamie. Um, an interesting one to watch. Yeah, and it was difficult for him to look good. He was, he was scrappy at times, um, controversial ending. But, you know, people can judge or, or make their own assumptions. There's only Herring will know the, the, the truth from what happened, how well he could see out that eye. Um, and... It, it, it riles me a little bit when people say he quit because by nature you're a fighter and you know people don't do this because they're afraid of fighting so he, there was obviously something wrong with his eye otherwise he would have just carried on um, so it, you know it's a difficult one but the fact of the matter is um, he come through he's still got the title and, um, and we're still on course to, to make the fight for Carl. Moving away from Carl and obviously Jamal and on to Dave Allen. Dave, I know he hasn't spent a lot of time here since he announced your link-up, but he's certainly still with you guys. Um, he's out in Ukraine at the minute with Alexander Usyk. <laughs> What's Dave been talking to you about? What's he been saying? Like I said, it's, first of all, it's great experience. The accommodation's not great, as people have seen on Instagram. Um, I had a good conversation with him on FaceTime the other day and... Uh, yeah, they're looking, hopefully, getting him out um, at October, November time. So... The experience of Spider Newsy is going to be fantastic for him. Um, he's in great shape. You know, part of our conversation when he first rang me and asked me um, if he could come and train here, you know, I was saying, listen, I can help you. I know I can help you out, but the fact of the matter is, if you if you want to do it, you know, a lot of that's down to you. Um, spoke to him about getting himself in decent enough condition before he'd come for an actual training camp here, and he's gone and done it. So, um, so yeah, I'm proud of him in a way because. Um, it seems like the penny's dropped and he's turned a corner and mentally he's in, he's in a good shape. Um, I love the stuff he's doing with the younger lads in his area and helping them out and making them better themselves um, because in a way that's sort of having a knock-on effect on him and it's making him improve himself. So, so it's, all, you know, it's all positive stuff and uh, I'm looking forward to him coming down here and having a full sort of six to eight weeks before a fight because... Um, because I feel like it'll improve a lot because of the situation he's got him and, you know, the fitness, the base, what he's giving himself now. I feel like I'll be able to build a taller pyramid because he's given himself a better start. How's Dave finding the experience of, of sparring one of the best boxers in the world? Well, by all accounts, he said the first time was pretty easy and the second time was pretty painful <laughs> after his alley shuffle. So, uh, but no, like I said, he said he said he's an amazing fighter, but he's enjoying the experience and he feels good. He said he, he feels like even though he's a, he's a, he's a tremendous fighter, he's um, he's doing some good he's some good stuff himself, and he feels good about it. So I can only build his confidence. Just to keep with Dave before we come on to Alexander a bit more, um, Dave's been mentioned for an Alan Babic fight. He's also had Tom Little kind of saying a word or two about him. Just firstly with Alan Babic, is that a fight which interests you guys? 
I don't think it's a fight what, what interests Dave at this stage until there's a bit more time in. You know, maybe Babich gets a few more fights under his belt. Um, but everyone seems to mention Dave. Um, it, he's, he's a character and he's, he's a good guy to have around the scene. Um, he's controversial, you know, he, he's funny. So people always want to be associated to a fight with him because, well, A, probably because of the shape he's come in in the past, people feel like they've got a chance against him. And B, they know they're going to get well paid because he's a character and, and he brings the crowd in. So, um, so it's just the, the, whatever fight comes up for him, we'll, we'll have a look at it. We'll see whether it makes sense or not for Dave. But, he's, you know, I don't, I, the conversation I've had with him is I don't want him to, to go on for more than two years. I think he should knuckle down, you know, dedicate himself to the sport, get the most out of it, and then we'll go away and then full-time sort of try and help people out and work with the younger people in his community because I think it's, it's, a, it's a perfect fit for him. He seems like he's made for that sort of role, and, uh, but while he's still young enough, he's so naturally talented lad. When he came here and he started training, I was like, no wonder you've not trained for fights in the past if you can do this off the back of not training. Imagine what you, you're capable of if you do knuckle down. So I'm looking forward to seeing the end products if, uh, if he keeps the dedication going, which I'm sure he will, and then gets a few training camps and gets a bit more experience, improves more, and uh, I can see him doing really well. As we mentioned, obviously he's been out with uh, Alexander Usyk. What do you make of his clash with Derek Jezora that official announcement for October 31st? Um, I think it's a great fight. I know is I know probably a couple of years past his best, but no one ever has an easy night uh, with Derek. And this is a, a big risk, really, for Usyk. You know, coming up, WBO mandatory, um, first fight at heavyweight. There's a big difference between boxing at cruiserweight and boxing at heavyweight um, against someone with Chisora's experience. So I think Usyk will win, but I don't think by any stretch of the imagination it's going to be easier I think he'll be really pushed hard um, Chisora will come with probably tactics to jump down his throat and keep that pressure on and hurt him and rough him up and uh, and I think I think you know style wise it, Usyk has been involved in some fights where they're not great to watch you're not you know only if you're a pure boxing fan you, you appreciate his skill set but I think this will be I think he'll be forced into a bit of a dogfight and it'll be a great fight for the fans Another big heavyweight clash which has been announced is the rematch between Dillian White and Alexander Povetkin. Jamie, surprised at all that Dillian's jumped straight in or do you think it's the right move? I think it maybe could have been three or four weeks later, give a little bit more time in between. I know these people concerned about the time frame in the, you know, from, from the point when he, he's allowed to sort of spar and, and the time to the fight. Um, but I don't generally have my lads sparring till four or five weeks before. Anyway, I don't think, I'm not a big believer in over sparring. I think it puts too many miles on the clock and you can sort of knock the fight out of you before you even get there. Um, so it might not work out bad for him. I'm always wary when a fighter loses by knockout and they take the immediate rematch and it's so close together, not for nothing other than the psychological scars that can leave. You know, are you going to be a bit gun shy or, you know, wary of, of what, you know, th those fresh scars are still fresh in your mind from the time before, so um, it's an intriguing fight. The, the, the reason I think Dylan will be confident is he was, even though I thought that the fight was competitive up to the point when, when um, he put 
when when Dylan when 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 Dylan put Povetkin down twice, it was competitive. I don't think the commentary was picking up much on the the work what Povetkin was getting off, especially the left up to the body, which actually set up the left up or the middle. But Dylan had, had got a foothold in the fight and had hurt him, and I feel like he maybe switched off a little bit at that point. Um, so I think he'll take a lot of confidence from the early part of the fight, and if he can be mentally tough enough and mentally strong enough to sort of block out what happened in the end and, and sort of pick back up from the from the second and third round, then I think he'd be okay. But pff, what a fascinating fight he is now. How much pressure is there on Dillian going into that fight? And if he wasn't to be successful, where does that leave him? It's a long roll back then, isn't it? Because, you know, he's been waiting so long for his for his world title shot, which is it's horrendous really when you think about it. And then obviously wrenching for him to, to then take a risky fight like Povetkin and that be the outcome. So for him to lose again, if he didn't get his world title shot the first time around after waiting three years, I can imagine how long the road would be back for him for after that. So that's not even a thought process. I'm sure he's going down. I'm sure he'll, you know, he's, he's accepted this the rematch. He's enforced his rematch clause and now I'm sure he'll be, be getting a game plan set out so that he can you can sort of reverse it, hopefully, for him, but uh, it's not an easy task. You briefly touched on kind of the time frame Dillian will have between being able to spar again from his, top, his time away. What do you make of the fact that Dillian only got a 28-day medical suspension, whereas Dick Spellman, in his defeat to Anthony Oddie, got a 45-day medical yeah. suspension? There was a lot of kind of talk of that over social media, with obviously Dillian receiving a very heavy knockout and Dick was stopped on his feet. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, it's down to the ball's discretion. Um, but you're right, it doesn't look right. It'll, probably the other way around would be more fair. But, um, but like I say, you know, especially with the way the fight ended for Dylan and with there only being that five-week period from the, the time of the suspension being up, that's probably a good thing in terms of, you know, he doesn't want to be um, doing too much sparring, I don't think. It's not a sparring issue. It's, it's more of a tactical issue and a defensive issue and he can work on that stuff technically rather than doing any sparring. Um, you don't need that long to do it, I don't feel so. So, um, But, yeah, I mean, it's a great fight. I, I'm, there's some good fights coming up before Christmas, so, uh, so um, it leads right into Christmas well, as long as they don't keep locking us in the houses. Just a few things I just want to touch on with you, Jamie. Uh, Jack Cattrall, somebody we haven't had a chance to speak on yet. What is the latest with him? We know the WBO mandatory situation is ongoing and we know that it was ordered for purse bids, what have you. What's your knowledge of where things stand? So they asked for a, a, a small extension because of the current situation, which will then take us past the weekend and obviously Josh Taylor's fight at the weekend. So, so I've seen on social media that they're pushing for Ramirez to fight Josh Taylor, but the fact of the matter is Ramirez has got to fight Jack. So unless they come to an agreement or or something, um, but Jack wants to fight. Jack wants to fight for the world title. He's been waiting long enough, so um, so we'll see. I know MTK are, are in negotiations with top rank and they're seeing what they can do. So so we'll see. But they've got a little bit longer, and I think we'll have a better idea probably towards the end of next week after Josh Taylor's fight's been had at the weekend, and I'm assuming he comes through it um, with a win. Then by the end of the week, then I think we'll have a better idea. There certainly seems to have been a lot of noise about uh, Josh Tyler, Jose Ramirez undisputed fight. In your own opinion now, having seen it dragged on for so long, especially for Jack and for, I imagine how frustrated he's become now, what do you actually feel is going to be the most likely outcome at this stage? 
I, I really don't know. I mean, would it be the end of the world if, for whatever reason, Ramirez fights Josh Taylor and then Jack has to wait? It wouldn't be the end of the world, but it just wouldn't be fair because he's been waiting that long. But if he does have to wait, then, you know, if Ramirez comes through, it's still a great fight for Jack. If Taylor comes through, that's probably a bigger fight for Jack. Um, so, so, in an ideal world for me, Jack gets to fight Ramirez next. The very worst case scenario is that he, he doesn't get the fight. Ramirez fights Josh Taylor. Josh Taylor, I believe, will come through that fight. And then Jack gets to fight Josh. So... So uh, that's the very worst case scenario. But as far as I'm concerned, Jack gets the fight next. Just a few other quick things. Um, it's come out Billy Joe Saunders is split from Ben Davison and gone and joined up with Mark Tibbs. What do you make of that, Jamie? That's the first I've heard of it. <laughs> so uh, is that breaking news for me? But, um, but no, I like Mark. Mark's good, a, a good trainer. He's a nice guy. Got a lot of time for him. Um, ben Davidson the same. So, um, so I don't know the, the ins and outs of it. Um, but I always say this, you know, boxing's a short career. Um, you know, sometimes trainers and fighters, you know, they get that bond and they become emotionally involved. So it's difficult when when a fighter decides that he's he you know he needs to maybe refresh or try something new. I think you've just got to be trying trying sort of not not take it personal. It's not it's probably not a personal thing. It's a, it's a business decision. So I'm sure um, I'm sure that's that's the understanding of them both. But Mark Tibbs is a terrific, um, terrific trainer, so I'm sure he'll get the best, best out of Billy Joe. Just with Billy Joe, he's obviously he's been with Ben, he's been with Mark now, uh, previously with Dominic Ingle, amongst others that have edged ones that's coming to my, my head now. What do you think it is that he hasn't necessarily just settled at one place? Um, some people are like that. You know, Matt Macklin was another one who had, who had quite a different few trainers. Um, I think Billy Joe is probably one of those pe pe people who get a little bit bored quickly and they need that freshness and that change. So everyone's got different personalities and if Billy Joe feels like he's got to do that for himself, then I don't blame him. You know, um, it's Mark Tibbs, he's been, or he was with Jimmy Tibbs, so he's got a history there with him. Um, and, and like I say, he's probably just freshening it up and maybe he needs a bit of one-on-one -on -one time. Um, which he might feel like he'll get more. You know, Ben's obviously busy and he's got quite a few fighters now. So may, may, maybe that's it. But I just think that um, as, as long as someone knows Billy, Billy Joe is such an intelligent fighter in a, in a weird sort of way, he can probably train himself. I have a situation like, a little bit like that with Martin Murray now. I've known Martin for so long. We've got so much history with each other, even going, you know, going back to training with each other when I was still fighting. So I don't sort of train Martin, I sort of oversee his training. He knows how to get himself fit. He knows what his body responds to best. He knows when to do certain things. He's that experienced. He's 39 years old. I just sort of manage, manage it with him and, and do what we need to do. It's, it's a different job. Each of my fighters are trained in different ways because there's different aspects of it where then it needs addressing. So, uh, so maybe Billy Joe's in that situation where he just needs someone to help him train rather than a trainer. Just to stick with Billy Joe, obviously he was in line to face Canelo and um, that fell through just before the pandemic and then didn't want to take on the fight uh, for what would have been September because of changes in purses and what have you. 
what do you make of kind of the current situation with Canelo and what has come out about you know, taking legal action against the zone and Golden Boy and Oscar De La Hoya? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't look like Canelo's going to be fighting anytime soon. And, um, and that's, a, that's a shame for Billy, for Callum Smith, you know, anyone who's looking to get that fight. I've seen a lot of stuff at the time when P Billy Joe said he doesn't want to take that fight because he doesn't feel like he's got enough time to prepare for it. And people was going, ah, oh, you're joking me, you know, five million quid or whatever it was, what he was getting. It doesn't matter. You take it on eight weeks' notice. I actually admire the fact that he didn't chase the money for the sake of feeling like he had to take it because Canelo was pushing him into a, a, a time frame. Because anyone could be forgiven for, for chasing five million quid or four million quid, whatever it was. But I like the fact that he went, no, listen, you're not going to push that fight on me on less time than I feel like I need. And if I'm not going to take it now, then, then so be it. So I, I admire him for that. Jamie, one final thing, and you mentioned him earlier, Matt Macklin. Um, the Sky commentary, you mentioned uh, that he didn't quite feel that at the time for White Povetkin. Alexander got a, a fair kind of shake of what was being spoken about with his good work that he was doing in the ring. What did you make of the commentary? Because certainly over social media, a lot of people were negative towards what Sky were producing in, in the fight camp shows. Listen, commentary is not an easy job. I've done it, and... You know, when you're noticing particular work or, or good work from a certain fighter, sometimes the opponent's work can go unmissed because you're trying to analyse the stuff what you've just picked up on maybe for, for the last 10 seconds and then you miss something. It's human nature, this is what happens. So Matt Macklin's one of the best commentators I've ever heard. You know, him and Paulie, I think, are brilliant. Um, he's a great analyst, he's a great commentator. Um, and maybe you just had a bad day at the office. What's wrong with that? People need to, I'll tell you what, I'd, all the, social media is the, the worst place to be sometimes. And, uh, and, you know, all these people saying, what's Matt Macklin talking about? I'd like to see them try and do it. Macklin does a fantastic job. And, uh, and you know, he didn't pick up on some good work, what um, Povetkin was doing to the body. So what? He still does, still does a great job. Jamie, we will leave that there now and I will leave you to shoot off. I appreciate your time as always. Thank you for speaking to Boxing Social. No worries, Dan. Thank you, mate. Awesome. Cheers, Jamie. Thank you.